Welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Michael Seventy. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing okay. It's been a while since we've done an episode of Stream Police. Uh, I believe last time we did one, we did a 1995 spectacular. It was so spectacular that we didn't do another podcast <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, so this episode, it was it was between. Uh, the Onion Field, an extremely goofy movie, and you know we just had to go with the uh, with the fan favorite or whatever you want to call it, and that means we will be talking about an extremely goofy movie, a movie that I had never seen before. Uh, we decided to uh, do it for this episode. I of course was familiar with the original. I think, meaning a goofy movie mm-hmm. from nineteen ninety five. It's all connected because our 95 spectacular it's just yeah it's the sequel to our 95 spectacular this is the sequel so. to our 95 spectacular yeah you know when i was watching an extremely goofy movie and we're going to jump into it pretty quickly but before that i'd like to talk about a uh, goofy movie a little bit um when i was watching this it, it's funny i kept thinking back to the first goofy movie and it was odd to me like out of all the movies i've seen and a handful of kids movies from the 90s why why is a goofy movie one of the ones i remember like what what is it about that movie that so many people our age 20 somethings have you know still have a soft spot for i mean what do you think michael why do you think a goofy movie has somehow is still like a cult favorite well i don't know nostalgia is a powerful thing um i think if for people of a certain age that was probably a pivotal movie for them and i think to a certain extent it just uh not that it's a great movie, but I think it's reasonably charming and not like super annoying. And because of that, I think people combined with their nostalgia for whatever they were watching in 1995, they'll be like, oh yeah, Goofy movie's great. You know, they'll, they'll kind of overinflate the positive aspects of it uh, just because they were watching it as a tiny child. You know what I was trying to remember and... We talked about it, but we just didn't get around to it. If if a goofy movie, if we watched it today, if it's still a good movie, because in my memory as a kid, it's it's good, good. It's not like yeah, this is good because I'm dumb. I'm a dumb kid. <laughs> yeah, no, I I already feel like maybe I'm trying to distance myself from it because like I because I think it's a good movie. I haven't seen it since I was like maybe early double digits but i i remember liking it i know siskel and ebert gave it two thumbs up um and i remember really liking the tevin campbell soundtrack he played powerline and yeah so i don't know it's it's probably is like a good movie i would like to see if that holds up um especially after watching a sequel i i think one of the signs is when it's a movie you like, you you remember a lot of bits from it. You don't just remember one thing or it's all a blur. Like I, vi- I have very vivid memories of certain moments from a goofy movie, and I know a lot of other people do too. Because I remember a couple years ago when some people online, like, uh, did a shot for shot remake of the opening song from that movie. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and that was crazy. So there's, it's it's really ingrained in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, but it's it's that other thing though where it's like. So whenever I see something that's like going viral where people like recreate something from the 90s or something like I'm always thinking like 
who de- who decides which ones get to be revived and we all like and and which ones are just gonna stay dead because you know what nobody's gonna pull that shit for i don't know uh, rockadoodle rock <laughs> doodle exactly you know like i i mean i i think you are right that goofy movie probably is like good good but i mean isn't everything that we uh grew up with kind of in a, a happy place <laughs> in our brains like you know maybe at a certain point like goodness is kind of like irrelevant when you know it comes to that pavlov's dog sort of reaction you get with certain things like you know if a goofy movie was a terrible movie i think it probably is a good movie but uh if it was terrible i think it would still you know register positively with people just because oh yeah when i when i was like six years old i loved that movie and watch it daily you know, I, not saying that that says anything bad about a goofy. Uh, at, okay, at this point, like I'm swinging the other way, where I'm just like nervous about saying anything bad about it. <laughs> like, I don't know who I'm trying to impress or not impress here, but I want to be very careful about how I appraise a goofy movie. Yeah. You don't want some like guys coming to your your place in the middle of the night, knocking door, saying, <laughs> "So, uh, you don't like a goofy movie." Or the other way around. So, uh, you like the Goofy movie, yeah. right? <laughs> I don't know which one is, is more unbelievable, though. <laughs> like, well, which Weird thugs coming to beat you up, either way. I think I'm more afraid of people uh, being mad that I like a Goofy movie, because the stakes are really low. Like, who, who's going to be upset about it? I understand people with nostalgia. I don't understand people being like, hey, man, you're not supposed to enjoy this. Uh, you know, like goons are hired by a critic that didn't like it. Like I see uh, Todd McCarthy. Todd McCarthy. Yeah. Yes. Todd McCarthy's <laughs> goons. I mean, Todd McCarthy is most well known for not liking a goofy movie. So much so that when somebody says who didn't like a goofy movie, we will both just be like Todd McCarthy. Or like his biography is just called "I Didn't Like a Goofy Movie" by Todd McCarthy. <laughs> Yeah, it's when people talk about McCarthyism and, like, how fucked up it was when he tried to get all the critics to say negative things about a Goofy movie. And there was that blacklist against critics who had positive things to say about a Goofy movie. I remember that. Uh, yes, and. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely some movies back then that somehow I have seen since then that I know aren't good, like mm. Page Master. Not to bash Page Master. I don't want any guys coming to my house in the middle of the Say night. Say something about Page Master again, motherfucker. <laughs> Tiny here has something to say about Page Master. I don't like this idea that we live in a world where <laughs> goons come to your house for not liking some movie from 20 years ago. So, uh, let's hope that our review of an extremely goofy movie does not lead to a rude visit in the middle of the night. So let's talk about an extremely goofy movie. He's a son going off to college. Going already? See ya! Goodbye, my little college man. And going for the extreme adventure. Let's do it! Yes! Until... Maxie! Ah! I'm just a-yearning for some learning. Now, only on video. One goofy dad is about to learn how to groove. presents a movie that proves no matter how old you are you never stop learning that family comes first even if your dad is goofy dad 
You're scaring people. An extremely goofy movie. Now on video. Okay. An extremely goofy movie. Uh, I'll do a little plot, though I don't think there's much to say. Basically, Max Goof is now graduated from high school. Uh, him and his friends PJ and Polly Shore are going to go to college. I believe it was just, I want to say they just called it State College. <laughs> State College. They didn't specify, I don't think. Yeah. And they're not, you know, excited because they're going to get laid or the parties. They're excited because they're going to get to participate in the College X Games, mm. which is something I have only heard about in this movie. Uh, <laughs> and it's what it sounds like. X Games, skateboarding, like bicycles, rollerblades, all that stuff, like a tournament. And like guys who do the X Games at the school are the coolest. So Max, he wants that uh, that spotlight. And he goes goofy gets uh gets pretty lonely he mixes his miss didn't come right. he misses max <laughs> yeah and it affects his personal life to the point where he gets fired from his job mm. and I, I guess he goes to i don't know what like the what do you want to call that the job office <laughs> <laughs> yeah the job office at his he job. goes to the job <laughs> And his job boss fires for him. career advice, and they're like, "Yeah, go to go back to college," because I guess he only has like, like one, he only has to complete one one more year, and then he conveniently has a degree. Yeah, something like that. That I guess that's that's goofy. Always <laughs> dropping out of college. <laughs> we're gonna toy yeah. place, and of course, this means that he's hanging out with Max and all this X game stuff in the background and wacky hijinks ensue um i'm gonna start off by saying that i have at least let me two three maybe major problems with this movie once i started watching it yeah and first um goofy movie the end of that max like if i recall he's like there's this girl that he really likes right roxanne yeah yeah you know, and, and she's like hot. You know, she looks like Chip and Dale. But I mean, I was I was gonna say it, but yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, they they hook up, and she's not, <laughs> not in this movie. Well, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's assumed. It's assumed. <laughs> my in my fan fiction, it's it's more explicit, but within the world of the Goofy movie saga. It's in the imagination of the viewers. But for one thing, she's not in this at all. So that element is gone. Mm -hmm. There's no romantic element. She feels very, very weird. Mm. And I know I had another one, a second one, but I'll go to my third point. (laughs) (laughs) I had one, but my third point... (laughs) For like an hour before this, he was just harping on that Roxanne's not in this one. (laughs) Is... The fact that if you if you remember the end of that movie, the first one, that whole movie is basically about Max and Goofy, like not really getting along. He wants to be more of an adult, and uh, his dad wants to treat him more like a little kid, and they have trouble bonding. But then they go to that that guy, what's his name, Bruno Mars, Powerline, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> yeah, they go to that concert, they bond, they do that stupid fishing lure dance. 
everybody's into, and yeah. they have an understanding. They've gr- they've grown together. Mm-hmm. Something has been accomplished. You know, a goal has been reached in this movie. And then this movie starts, and it's like the same damn problem where he's like, "No, Dad, like leave me alone. Like, I want to do my own cool stuff. Like, it seems like no progress has been made. They're yeah. back to square one." Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like a progression of that relationship. It's just like they just dropped everything. They dropped any continuity they already had. <laughs> just threw it out the window. Yeah, it looks like uh, Max Goof has really gone back to just being kind of an honorary little shit. He's just a dick in this movie. Man, Max Goof's... Uh, I, I don't know what... You know, Goofy, look... I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. He's an overbearing father, okay? I mean, I'll say it. I'll say it, Max. But you know what? Give him a break, okay? Give him a fucking break. I mean, basically everything Max does in this movie is is for himself. Like, it's not even like there's a girl that's, like, making him, like, oh, I got to do this to impress this girl, like, in the first no. movie. No. It's like, I want to do this because I'll be, like, famous. Yeah. Even to the point where, he, like, his friends, like, what's wrong, dude? He's, and he's like, I'm going to switch colleges. And <laughs> like, what? <laughs> his friends are awful, aren't they? PJ is just, like... For one thing, he's still friends with the Polly Shore guy, and Polly Shore does come back to reprise his role. Um, I'm sure he just showed up one day, and they 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 didn't ask him to do this, but he just like ran to the studio and started recording. Um, and then like PJ once again, like the guy. I mean, come on, like I feel for him because I've been him. All right, part of me still is PJ, but you know what? You you can't bring it upon yourself, PJ. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. Though PJ does, uh, oddly enough, meet a girl. Yeah. The Roxanne of this movie. Yeah. (laughs) In like some beatnik club, which exists nowhere. I don't know what. A bunch of long hairs in in 2000, when extreme sports were the rage. (laughs) Also, these little beat poetry cafes were coming back into style. This movie is such a weird amalgamation of of everything (laughs) that people thought were the cool things like skateboarding and then like i guess poetry you're being a beatnik (laughs) and then like this whole soundtrack is like bad ska (laughs) yeah i was gonna say that it's it's an eclectic mix of of different because part of it is uh goofy when he gets there him and the librarian who he is smitten with are both very into the 70s and part of the soundtrack is like a disco throwback and there's a lot of 70s pop hits on it but then also it's to contrast with that it's like okay well what's the youth listening to that'll be like the counterpoint to that and it's like the specials <laughs> you know and like i feel like probably real big fish is on here somewhere i don't know if they are but probably <laughs> i'm sure they have like an appearance in the movie <laughs> as weirdly drawn dog, dog people people <laughs> yeah Weirdly Drawn Dog People is actually my favorite ska band, though, so <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't make it. Not a bad name. <laughs> so, like you said, Goofy does get involved with a, a woman, and they like disco, and she's a, a librarian at the college, I think. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And she's not so bad. They could have made her really annoying, but she's fine. Um, then some characters that I'm not particularly uh, uh, partial to are, well, I mean, why would I be? They're the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> the characters I do not like. I just want to say for everybody listening to Stream Police, I do not approve of what those guys did. They tried to hurt Goofy. But I mean, they're not even funny. Uh, so basically, the. <laughs> yeah. The, 
The main antagonist in this movie is Bradley Uppercrust the Third. Uh, I'm gonna start by saying, why is this guy going to the same college? Shouldn't this guy be going to like a Harvard or something? He seems way state? too rich to be going to State College. Well, State College has the best extreme sports and beatnik poetry programs in the world. So there you go. Yeah. And I'm sure he's he's got like family that went there or something. And then like he has like the typical dumb guy bodyguard friend <laughs> played by brad garrett right it is yeah it's tank i'm yeah. seeing now you know okay this was an interesting time for brad garrett because with everybody loves raymond you know this was uh pre-welcome to mooseport era for ray romano <laughs> <laughs> inside joke all right continue and and none of these characters really seem to like work together for me and then but they're all interacting they're all like in the same classes and it and, and then it occurred to me like why is this a movie about college why isn't it you just like why isn't this just like a summer thing where he goes to like x games camp i guess maybe that'd be too yeah. too similar to the last one because it was a summer vacation type movie but like mm. the fact that it's at college I mean, I guess it, it, you can use that as a device to get Goofy to hang out with Max in a social setting that's awkward, but I don't really feel like they take advantage of that, and I just feel like the whole college portion of the movie is wasted. Like, they didn't they don't really go into his studies or anything. They're like, oh, you're going to fail if you don't do such and such, blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's just weird that that's, like, totally ignored, and also that there's no love interest when it's, like, I feel like that's a big part of college is, you know, like... You're around a bunch of other people your age with no supervision. And I don't know. It's just weird that there's so many things that they don't even attempt. Yeah. They're really focused in on Goofy <clears throat> embarrassing his son and then a lot of skateboard scenes. <laughs> a lot of skateboarding, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I, but I'm glad that they gave my man PJ, you know, that lady. And, uh, you know, Polly Shore didn't you know he couldn't hit it off with her because he's fucking around talking nonsense whereas pj is a soulful dude secretly um and yeah you're right that a lot of the college stuff seems kind of like superfluous like well for one thing like what, what's up with uh max goes to like one class and then he's like kind of skateboarding all day I, I don't understand what is what, what was he going to college for was he on like a x games scholarship or something like <laughs> And then, like, the, at the end of the year, is that big X Games game, like, the final game. Like, they, do they just hold it at that college? I guess. I don't know. Because I, I didn't even know this was a... I knew the X Games were a thing. I didn't know about the college X Games. I didn't know mountain climbing was part of it, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, Michael, you don't remember our college experience of participating in the <laughs> college X Games? Yeah, but the yeah. Ellensburg X Games was is all just like <laughs> longboarding, <laughs> just like on a straight road. That was that was our our Ellensburg experience was you know you'd be skating around, and I'd just be like, man, I just want to read poetry <laughs> and be and whine and whine about how <laughs> how hard this is. And then my dad shows up and whoa, whoa, yeah. You know, a lot of kids probably grew up thinking this is what college would be. Yeah, I uh, this I saw this movie on Disney Channel in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And 
my my takeaway from it is that in college he, he says oh my first class is until noon i was and that was like the first time i heard that i was like wait what like <laughs> classes start that late and so my yeah unfortunately uh for i'd say half of the of my time in college i had classes that started before noon so didn't get to live that dream Harsh realities of life. Yeah, life isn't a cartoon, man. <laughs> you can't just skateboard away from your problems. I wish. No. I wish I could. Oh, I remembered my second point. My second thing that I didn't like, because earlier I had three things that I didn't like about this movie yeah. to begin with. My second is that Goofy doesn't have the same job he had in the first movie. Now, that yeah. may sound like nitpicking, but it just makes me think about, like, they just don't care enough to even like oh what like to keep any continuity. They're just like oh it'd just be funny I guess if he was like a assembly, assembly line toy guy because he was a, he was like a photographer or something in the first movie like yeah a, at a department store yeah and it's like well why can't he just get fired from that job why does he have to start a new job it's like they didn't yeah. there's not a single thing even the easy things that they decided to carry over into this next movie <laughs> I like think... the first movie doesn't even matter my <laughs> I think that the comedic set piece of getting fired from a factory, like you can have more slapstick in that. But I also think that I'm so invested in the continuity. Like, who isn't thinking, like, where's Roxanne? You know, is she dead? That's that's obviously the first question a child will ask. And I think that it's irresponsible for them to have not uh, explained what happened to Roxanne and also why Goofy is no longer photographing families at department stores i mean these are things we liked at this first movie we liked that he worked at that store we liked roxanne we love roxanne. And weird weird braces girl that liked the cheese guy yeah and... no that made that okay being serious that legitimately was heartwarming when Polly shore cheese guy and the braces girl at the end that was a nice little moment now now it's just bullshit it's, it's they, just bullshit they stomped on it you know it's fucked up all about X Games. It's all about X Games. I don't even remember any a single like thing that happened in this movie that's worth anyone's time. Um, <laughs> I, I guess there's that bit that I've heard people brought up that they like where Polly Shore dog. Yeah. What's, I don't know, what the hell is his name? Uh, <laughs> I think it's Polly Shore dog. Polly Shore dog says like, you ever notice how like we always wear gloves? Yeah. I mean, like, I guess that's sort of funny. Uh, I like that. that I don't that, know. That's I like, the gag. I mean... That's the only gag. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like in 2000, that was mind-blowing to me because I was like, what? <laughs> They're pulling back the curtain. Ma, I guess, dad, I, I, guess I wasn't thinking about it. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that. I, it's the animation, I think. I like the when they're in the disco, when Goofy uh, throws on the disco record at that... Um, college party and him and the librarian are hitting the floor there's some nice colors there that's it's not yeah. it's not bad yeah yeah and i don't know some of the some of those yeah i don't know that, that that's pretty much what it has going for it and it, it's <clears throat> it should be said this is a movie for children <laughs> you know for extreme children but children nonetheless um I, I'm trying to figure out like how how much uh, a kid who enjoyed 
a goofy movie and then it was like oh there's a sequel and watch that what they would think of this it's hard i don't feel like you could ever really know because kids aren't usually as critical yeah on, on these kind of things they'll probably they could watch it and not even have that good of a time but then be like it was fine yeah they're not gonna like get into like continuity they might <clears throat> yeah I mean that you know I I just think his kids will will if they have any attachment to the first one, you know, then they'll have something to judge it against, right? That's true, though. Yeah, or maybe I don't point. know. Maybe they'll just be like, ah, oh, this is there's colors happening in front of me, <laughs> and that'll be. It. But I, I feel like as a kid, I was able to say that, oh, I like this Bugs Bunny cartoon more than this Tom and Jerry cartoon. You know, I guess I had I had my, you know I was a really smart kid. That's why I'm trying to say that I'm a hero. Okay, I'm like I was the best kid critic that there ever was. The best kid critic that there ever was. That's a good movie in the '90s. <laughs> it's kind of like when Blank Check and First Kid came out, then they made a kid who was shooting way lower than them. He's like, are you rich? No. Are you like the president? No. But I'm, uh, me and Sinbad have a critic show where we review movies. It's like, it's like Sinbad has this show, but it's not doing very well. And they want to bring out this kid. He's like, a kid? What am I going to do? He has to do like a press tour. Or, or, or maybe they go to like a can, the Cannes Film Festival. And this kid's the toast of the town. Yeah. And, and, and just... Sinbad's pretty mad about it. But then like. They get involved in some scheme where there's, like, an evil director or something. Yeah. The stakes are always weirdly high in, like, those blank check kind of Home Alone ripoff movies where, like, the climax of the movie is, like, somebody's trying to kill this kid. <laughs> like, oh, this kid gave a bad review of my movie. Let's fucking murder him. And then Sinbad's like, like, not today. Yeah. There's, like, a terrorist organization who set up, like, when a movie's going to play at Cannes, like, after it ends, it's going to, like, blow up the whole audience. <laughs> so the Sinbad and the kid... Yeah, Sinbad and the some... Kid. That's actually the name of the comedy duo that is going to spawn from the, that movie. <laughs> Sinbad what was it and called? The... the Greatest Critic of the... The Greatest Kid Critic of all? I don't know. Someone... Yeah, that's it, right? The Greatest yeah. Kid Critic of all time? <laughs> the greatest... That's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> we, we can workshop that a little bit. Kid... Kid Critic. Kid Critic? Um, I don't kid... Know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It... They gotta have like... Like, the kid comes up with his own version of two thumbs up, but it's, like, cooler. It's, like, two metal devil hands up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He has, like, his own cool name for it. It's, like, four horns, man. Four horns. Four horns. And so that's, like, that's not criticism. (laughs) That's not criticism. This is like we're talking like circa house guest first kid like jing- this is jingle all the way Sinbad. I think the Sinbad of today is you know he's doing fine. Thank you very much. He was in planes, but was he in planes fire and rescue? No, that and that's really that's when the money really comes rolling in. Dane uh, Sir Dane Cook was in that though, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll somehow end up reviewing it at some point. I can only hope. So, an extremely goofy movie. Is this a good movie? Um, well, I love extreme sports, so I'm gonna say, so I'm gonna say yes. I don't know. It's uh, look, I uh, I watched this 
with the mindset that you know I don't I have a certain degree of nostalgia for a goofy movie and from what I can gather there's a good chance that that actually is a genuinely good movie but just keeping that completely out of my mind and just watching this I can't say that I recommend it because at the end of the day this is a roughly hour long or so kids movie that has some you know nice animation but I I'd be lying if I said anything made it was compelling to me. Um, you know, even the stuff where Goofy's like missing Max, that's like done so much better in in my memory of what the first Goofy movie was. And you know, uh, I mean, God, what the fuck am I gonna say, man? I it's I'm reviewing an extremely Goofy movie, and w- without Sinbad at my side here to to help me get my thoughts straight, all I can say is that. It was there. I have nothing against it. I can't recommend it. <laughs> and I was extremely disappointed. I didn't like any aspect of it. It was just boring to me. I, I, I'm not going to say, like, this is a movie that kids shouldn't watch. It's just that <laughs> terrible. Like, they yeah. were, they're just trying to make a quick buck, which maybe they were. Yeah. But there's some effort put in it. It's just, it's just not very funny. Like you said, the animation's fine. Um, but, like, I had pretty good memories of the first one and i was hoping this one would have like some moments like that first one had that i'd be like oh that's funny if i'd saw that as a kid i'm sure i'd still remember that today but i had no of those mo none of those moments right um maybe because i saw it as a cynical adult i don't know uh, i don't have any nostalgia for this one this is the first time i'd ever seen it um so yeah i oh so sorry everybody i can't recommend extremely goofy movie <laughs> You don't care who you offend. I don't care. You're yeah, knock Tom McCarthy door. can send his goons after me. I don't <laughs> care. So let's talk about some other movies on streaming or wherever that we can recommend. This is a little segment we called John and Michael Recommend. All right, Michael. So I've seen some interesting things on Netflix recently and on the Red Box. Mm-hmm. I take it that you have as well. Uh, I guess I'll go first with my uh, with the first movie that I saw recently that I'm going to go out and recommend. It's not on Netflix, but you can get it at Red Box, and that is the movie Cheap Thrills. Mm. Just saw recently. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Vaguely, yeah. It came out last year. It came out last year, and I, I heard about it because I thought it was like kind of a horror movie, but it's really not. It's a movie that stars Pat Healy, who is kind of a character actor. I don't think most people probably know him uh, by you know, just by looking at him. But if you look at him, his filmography, you'll see he had bit parts in movies like Ghost World and um, Assassination of Jesse James by Carl Robert Ford. A lot of bit parts in movies, but he stars in this movie, and it's a it's about a guy who gets fired from his job he's really in debt he um just hemorrhaging money he doesn't know what to do he goes to a bar where he meets up with an old friend who's played by ethan embry who i remember from i think he was in one of the national lampoon vacation movies Uh, yeah he he was he was the rusty in the vegas vacation (laughs) okay ethan embry so they kind of reconnect at this bar he's also kind of fallen on hard times and they're just 
talking about their problems over some beers, and then they meet this unusual couple played by Sarah Paxson and David Koechner. And basically, these people are super rich, and they notice that these guys are on hard times, and they start giving them money to do these ridiculous dares. Like, hey, if you go, if you can go get that woman to slap you, I'll give you like a hundred bucks. And as the movie progresses, it's a series of more ridiculous and over-the-top dares to the point of like, would you cut off your finger for like a hundred thousand dollars? Like really dark stuff. This is like dark, dark comedy, incredibly like violent and gross, but still kind of funny. Which is why it's weird that it has like David Koechner in it because you expect it to be a little more broad, but he's. He's almost being slightly more dramatic than you usually see him, so that was kind of that was kind of interesting. And I don't want to spoil the end of this movie, but it's just you know it it, it keeps you on your toes and, and it makes you think like God, if I was that desperate, would I do some of these things like for money? Would I go over to my neighbor's house and poop like on their floor for ten thousand dollars, even though I could risk like them catching me and going to jail? And it's just, it's really, it's really interesting. And, uh, yeah, I think you can go still out, go out and rent that one. It was, uh, it's the directorial debut of E.L. Katz. I, I don't know that he's anyone, uh, he's an up-and-comer, so. I mean, yeah, it just, it just came out of nowhere. And I think it got pretty good reviews. And cheap thrills. <laughs> My first recommendation. Michael. <laughs> Okay. No recommendation. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is a movie that is on Netflix at the moment called Museum Hours. It's a movie by Jem Cohen, who did the Fugazi documentary Instrument. Um, I watched this with Britt, and I didn't really know what to expect going into it. For some reason, I was kind of thinking it was going to be something like Before Sunrise, or a movie of that sort, because it is. Um, it has two people um in a foreign setting in this case vienna um one of those a museum guard and the other is uh they're visiting a a a close friend who's who's dying and it's um for me uh that that kind of setting automatically brought to mind an idea of what this movie is going to be or that kind of synopsis you know but it's actually a, a really it's a very meditative movie and it there's it says something about the classification of the arts it says something about uh culture divide like the high low kind of culture divide um and i i don't know it offers uh in a way even though it's not a documentary and it's um it, you know it, it's it is a fictional movie it kind of reminded me of the fugazi documentary just in the kind of ethos that Fugazi has towards art and their kind of convictions when it comes to um, the masses and, and access to art and th- and that kind of thing that it, it that was really brought to mind for me and I, I think that that's something that Jim Cohen is obviously uh, feels very strongly about um, but it's also like that's probably making it sound a little bit dreary but it's also a very uh, beautiful movie uh, aesthetically and also in in its own way. Uh, kind of kind of funny and 
Um, I, I ended up just being really taken by it and not really expecting to. Um, so yeah, I, I, I liked Museum Hours and I give it uh, four horns way up. <laughs> Did you find out about this movie because you'd seen Instrument and you like? I was like, oh, this is the same director and. Like, how did you come about selecting this movie or, or just running into it? I think I saw, like, a review of it maybe, like, on, like, AV Club or something, like, a couple of years ago. And thinking, like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I, I like, instrument. And then I just recently saw it on Netflix. I was like, oh, this is there? And so, you know. Hmm. Yeah, if you hadn't kinda, mentioned this movie yeah. on this podcast, I probably would have never heard of it. It probably would have been buried in all the other movies on Netflix, but it sounds interesting. That is very cool. So my next recommendation isn't actually a movie, and I'm not even sure that it's something I really like that much. I just think it's something interesting, (laughs) and that if hopefully when I, you know, tell our listeners about it, they find it interesting, and they might check it out just out of curiosity. And that is the 80s TV show Amazing Stories. I don't know Um... why this, like, like why I thought about this like recently, but like a couple of weeks ago, it just popped in my head. It's like, whatever happened to Amazing Stories? Is that like anywhere? Is that like on DVD or something? And then I find <laughs> out it's on Netflix. And I'm like, oh, you know what I should do? There's only 45 episodes. I should watch all of them and review every single episode on like the blog. Yeah. I probably gave up on that idea about six episodes in because it just wasn't how i remembered her or what exactly it wasn't what i wanted to be and basically what amazing stories is supposed to be is it's it's an anthology show kind of like a twilight zone it was produced by steven spielberg he has story credits for almost every single episode and they're these self-contained mm. little i think they're about and just a half hour episodes that are like supernatural some are more horror some are just kind of wacky and I had some, uh, there's a couple in my mind that I was like, oh, I totally remember that one. I think probably the episode that most people remember about this show is Brad Bird got his start. Or I, wouldn't, I don't know if he got a start, but came to more prominence through a uh, an episode he did called Family Dog, which is, or The Family Dog, which yeah. is an animated episode, the only one. And I, that uh, became its own TV show at some point, I think in the early 90s. And it's it's oh, kind of wow. just feels like it's weird. It feels like two animated short films that you'd see before, like a Disney movie or a Pixar movie, that are jammed into an episode. And <laughs> it's just about a family and their dog, and you know the family's really annoying, and the dog's always uh, getting into these situations that make makes him look like he's a really bad dog, even though he didn't really do anything wrong. And it's actually pretty well done. Like even back then, you can see that Brad Bird's like a good visual storyteller. His characters aren't like bouncing off the walls; they're like realistic people. And I enjoyed that one. That's probably, that might be the best episode of the show. I'm not sure because I, I haven't watched all 45 yet. Um, I'll, I'll touch on just a few other ones. Um, I watched an episode that was kind of interesting called The Mission, directed by Steven Spielberg, about a uh, crew of uh, soldiers uh, all flying a plane during World War II. And it stars Kevin Costner. But this is like 1985 Kevin Costner. So I don't think he was famous yet. Or at least that famous, right? 1985? <laughs> uh, yeah, not, the, not you know, Kevin Costner. It's him and Kiefer yeah. Sutherland and a bunch of other guys in a plane. And um, 
they have like this little cockpit area at the bottom of the of the ship and there's a guy down there and uh, at one part their ship gets attacked and their landing stuff or their landing gear can't come down and there's this guy who's at the bottom of the plane so they realize when we land this plane this guy's going to be crushed to death because we can't put down the wheels there's nothing else we can do so the it's like the whole episode is just the tension of how are they going to handle this like landing is this guy gonna be okay are they able to get him out and that was a good one that one it, it had a very kind of indiana jonesy type feel which is the way it was shot because it was spielberg there's even a part where a guy whistles the indiana jones theme like while he's driving the plane and i'm not sure if i like that but it's kind of interesting uh, <laughs> that one has a big twist that a lot of people say is like the worst twist in the whole series and i'll spoil it because who's ever gonna watch it yeah. And this guy who's trapped in his cockpit is uh, his dream is to work for Disney because he he draws all the time. He's always drawn like pictures of the crew and everything, and everybody loves his illustrations. And then as they're getting ready to crash, he's like, "Give me my notepad," and they give him the notepad, and he draws something. And then you see the outside of the plane. You see two like cartoony, I'd say like Who Framed Roger Rabbit style wheels that come out of the the bottom of the plane, like animated wheels. And it safely lands. Looks terrible. It's a terrible looking effect. Because it's hand-drawn animation with a real <laughs> like, plane. And it's like it's kind of cute because it's like, yeah. oh, his his illustration came to life. But there's nothing else in the story that suggests that like like that could happen. Or they don't go into his, his animation like stuff that much. It's it's like we don't have a way to end I this. Wait, hey, wait, didn't we say he drew stuff? <laughs> so I mean that kind of sums the show yeah. up in a nutshell. Like it, it, it they're twilight zony but there's always something very cheeseball about them because steven spielberg just kind of is big big old cheeseball but there's there's definitely a charm to the show it's yeah. very well produced it's very well shot john williams does a lot of music for it so it looks cool that's the thing like it seems like it should be so much better than it is but it's just kind of okay but it's still interesting if you like steven spielberg you like the touch he puts on things uh, I don't know that I'm going to continue watching it. Probably not. Maybe one more. But uh, kind of a fun show. So if you got a half hour, I'd you know I'd check out one of them. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, series, and that sounds like one I should definitely get around to watching. Um, my next one is a part of the ESPN's 30 for 30 series. Mm-hmm. I think I've already talked about the price of gold on here with Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, and all that. Um, the one that I watched most recently, and I never thought that I'd be like a fan of like a ESPN show because I, I don't know anything about <laughs> anything. Uh, is but anyway, the the latest thirty for thirty episode that I watched and I really liked was uh, Brian and the Boz. Um, and I think that one has been on Netflix for a while. I think it was actually a, an episode that happened that aired late last year. But it's about Brian Bosworth, uh, you know, who played football for University of Oklahoma, and then uh, after a short period of time, kind of created this character or this media persona uh for himself uh the boz and it goes into it's framed as um he he and his uh now teenage son are going into this old storage locker that the boz's uh dad 
has kept that has all these little you know uh, all this memorabilia of the boss and all everything all these records of of brian bosworth's uh career um kind of stored in there and as he's going over all this in front of his son he just sort of expresses regret over how he acted and and, and how he let fame and power and success go to his head and uh and honestly uh I, I think i was just captivated by just how he he genuinely seemed to be like sincerely contrite about how he kind of behaved during that time and also just seeing him kind of have the uh, some sort of moment of clarity about all that with his son on camera like it's just i don't know it's just a very interesting story and i, I love uh <laughs> I, I don't know i just love watching where college football coverage in the 80s got to this point where this guy who had a weird mullet was like on the cover of every magazine in front of a corvette and like had a hollywood action movie and <laughs> like i don't know it's just it's a lot of fascinating uh fascinating stuff there and uh, i yeah i highly recommend it i've seen that one oh yeah yeah okay, i i love i i enjoyed it i love 30 for 30 i don't know what yeah. it is about that show i just they they pick great subjects i you know i guess Probably, yeah. and i love how every episode's is is, is different because it's always a different director they always have a very different approach i mean yeah sometimes like i think my favorite 30 for 30 episode is if, have you ever seen june 17th 1994 yeah that one's incredible it has no narration it's just music set to clips and of course june 17th 1994 is a date in history where a bunch of amazing sports events were going on at the same time and on top of that the police chase of former football star oj simpson was going on so mm. it's that one's pretty crazy that one and um no crossover, the trial of Allen Iverson. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard that it's it's good. It's Steve James too, so yeah. Which is yeah, I I need to see a. And he has yeah. personal ties to uh, the the setting, I believe, which was uh, what Hampton, Virginia, which is where he's from. Yeah. So okay. it's this it's this you know controversial event that happened in his own hometown. So he's he's walking around. He's in the documentary talking about his experiences and talking to people. Yeah, and that's that's interesting to see like a, a story that has a personal effect on him the filmmaker yeah but, that's cool yeah i love 30 for 30 i wish i could see them all i'll get to it eventually there's just it's so hard for me like when i go th- on netflix and like which one do i watch now <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm just i'm at the point where i'm just kind of choosing a different one randomly every night or so and it's been pretty fun just seeing all these different approaches and yeah yeah, yeah, thirty for thirty, always a good one to recommend. Uh, my last recommendation, I'll be incredibly brief because I don't even know if I'm recommending it. I wrote it down, and then I realized I don't even know if I like it. <laughs> so I'll be very brief since I was kind of long with my second one. I saw that movie Devil. You know that M Night Shyamalan ah. produced, maybe has story credit movie. <laughs> uh, Devil. I think most people know what that is. A bunch of people trapped in an elevator. One of them's the devil, and. M. Knight was trying to do this thing where he was going to do a trilogy of movies called The Night Chronicles, and they were all going to be horror Mm. movies in an urban setting. And I like that that idea, like, they're going to be Twilight Zone-type movies with twists, self-contained, like, little stories. And I I like the idea of Devil, and I like uh, a handful of scenes, but I don't know. It's kind of schlocky. The acting isn't always great. It's got this actor in it who looks exactly like Tom Hardy, but isn't Tom Hardy. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of the actor Logan Marshall Green, but he looks just like Tom Hardy, and it freaks me out. I keep thinking, what? Tom Hardy's not like on top of his game. This 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 movie. And I was like, oh wait, no, that's a different guy. 
Yeah, his career took a turn that he's in Devil. I can honestly say, too, that the best part of Devil is the opening credits. Yeah. It's, um... Oh, is this, uh, Tak Fujimoto, who's a very talented cinematographer. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, I think he's done most of M. Night's movies. I think he did Silence of the Lambs. He's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he has this great opening credit sequence where it's uh, a fly. They're flying over all of Philadelphia, but they flipped it. So it's you go through the whole city like a helicopter shot upside down. And yeah. it's just like crazy. Like I've never seen a sequence <laughs> like that, seeing a whole urban jungle upside down on camera so props to tak fujimoto if you're a fan of his work which includes aside from the things i already mentioned macgyver fair Mueller, <laughs> and john adams the miniseries then i think you'll love his cinematography and devil nice um, check it out maybe <laughs> check it out maybe michael <laughs> okay we're get your next recommendation yeah here's one to also maybe check out um on HBO Go is the 1996 uh, T 